Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 418, Italy World Cup Woes. Hello, Big Chillians. Welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. So Eddie, I think our more dedicated listeners know what question's going to come, and I think you might know it as well. I've been asking it pretty much since July of last year. As an England supporter, Eddie, how does it feel to see Italy not going to the World Cup for the second consecutive time due to losing to North Macedonia? I mean, it was it was surprising, right? And and watch the match they dominated. And then obviously, you know, North Macedonia scoring the winner. So for people who weren't aware, this was in the World Cup playoffs. So Italy failed to qualify through the group stages, but they went into the playoffs as one of the sort of better losers. And then it's a straight knockout. They had to win two matches to make it to the World Cup, and they lost in their first match at home to North Macedonia, a country that I think a lot of people probably don't even know exists. But it... um. I mean, I don't know how I feel. It is slightly upsetting that basically they have fallen apart since that run in the Euros. And basically since you can, you know, ever since Don, I mean, Donnarumma's career has somewhat fallen apart ever since he saved those penalties as well. His his time at PSG is going really badly. And now you throw in uh, what's going on with Italy. In some, you know, like I remember in the summer, I made that, that are, I made the point that in some ways, I didn't want England to win the Euros because I felt as if future excitement for tournaments will always be bigger as long as they've never won, that the the, the excitement of a potential win is bigger than the satisfaction of actually winning. It's the thing I've said on the podcast that has had the biggest backlash in terms of people calling me a moron. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the... It's I, can't, the I can't believe that's it. <laughs> That's the oh, one. it's it's the most abusive. Not you I've... being able to like beat professional uh, boxers, to be able to kick a uh, a rugby ball out of a stadium, to be able to play baseball or or manage baseball after a week. You know, this no. is the one. People understand my athletic prowess, but they they uh... pro ass. Did you say <laughs> you have you have a you have an athletic pro ass? <laughs> yes, yes, Frank. <laughs> But no, I mean, that is the most abuse I've received from random people on the internet. Like, you know, sometimes we just get feedback from people who actually know us, who listen to the podcast. That's one thing. This was actually getting an onslaught of abuse from faceless listeners. I'm not, and by all means, happy that you listen. And we're always happy with any engagement. Calling me a moron is better than hearing nothing from you in some respects. But that was the biggest backlash. But this situation made me think of it more. I then thought, well, would I have taken England winning the Euros and then not qualifying for the World Cup? And I actually think there the answer is definitely no. Because I've watched England, I've watched major competitions when England haven't been there. They didn't qualify for a year 2008. And it completely changes, you know, like if you're in Europe, a World Cup or a Euros, it takes over. Like there are matches at the beginning of a tournament every day and just for four weeks. It is everything. Nonstop coverage. It's all people talk about when you're at work. It's all people talk about when you're at a bar. It's all that's on. And so when, you're, when your country isn't there, I think you really, it's, it just dampens the entire experience. And 
I think I would, if I'd been offered this, if I'd been off, if I was an Italian and going into that penalty shootout, I'd been told you get to choose now, either Italy will win this penalty shootout or, but in, they then won't qualify for the next world cup or they can lose this penalty shootout and they'll make it to say the semifinals of the next world cup. I would have taken the lose the penalty shootout in the semifinals. But yeah, but here's where people are going to rip on you again. It's not like there's only one or the other. You could have had England win the Euros and then still continue to be really good and easily qualify for the World Cup and then go and make the semis or the finals of the World Cup as well. You know, like it's not an either or. It just so happens to be for Italy. (laughs) Yeah. No, 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 you're right. I'm just saying, you know, I'd rather the pleasure of watching than the experience of winning. For the most part, and and look for Italy. This is not this is this as you mentioned. This is the second consecutive tournament that they World Cup that they have not qualified for. In some respects, it feels with the Italians as if they've almost made the deal with the devil a couple of times because the last knockout match that they won in the World Cup was the 2006 World Cup final. Since then, they've gone to two World Cups and not made it out of the group stages. So when I say not even one, they've not even played a knockout match. They've gone to two World Cup finals, not made it out of the group stages, and they're not qualified for two World Cups. So you have this situation where, you know, 2006, everything was looking great. They had an unexpected World Cup victory, and then they've never been, they've never really been a presence in the World Cup again. And then you've won, they had an unexpected Euros victory and immediately come back down to earth, what is it, eight months later with not qualifying for a World Cup. It's surprising. I, I would be devastating, uh, you know, and it, I will say there was a lot of, when you go on social media, there's a lot of. English people taking a lot of pleasure in this and making, you know, when when Italy won the World Cup, uh, when, the, when they won the Euros, there were the, all the snide remarks about it's coming home or it's coming Rome and, and all of that stuff. And there's a lot of people on social media throwing that back in the directions of the Italians. Nice. How do, is, is it working? Is it actually reversing the result from... 2021 now are they actually giving it to england because last time i checked italy still beat them in the finals (laughs) and you know whether italy makes the world cup or not that that result is stamped in the history books it's got an asterisk now though now it does okay yeah it says and then italy massively collapsed over the next few months you know and and look a really bad period for Jorginho as well right i mean I, i did feel a little bit sorry for him there are people who take tremendous pleasure Jorginho is not the most popular player in the world he for a long time, wasn't particularly popular at Chelsea when he first signed, where he didn't have the best few sort of months after signing and Chelsea fans didn't like him. He's kind of won them over. Um, overall, I think people make fun of his penalty style a lot and find it a bit annoying. He missed two crucial penalties in their World Cup campaign, including a last-minute penalty against Switzerland, which if he had scored it, they would have qualified and not had to go through this playoff path. So you can very much point to him making mistakes. You know, it's it's like we always talk about. There's moments where people want to kind of look back through a sporting event and go like, well, if this hadn't happened in the 13th minute, then the result would have been totally different. But when there's a lot of the match left to play, you don't know what the knock-on effect of that is. But obviously, when you miss an 89th minute penalty, it's pretty clear that that had a very major uh, impact on the outcome of a match. He was upset. A lot of people were then making fun of him on social media because, I mean, Jorginho, surprisingly enough, based on his name, he's actually Brazilian. And there are a lot of people commenting on the fact, oh, it must have been really upsetting. He always dreamt of playing for Italy in the World Cup when he was a young boy in Rio. Um, 
but you know he's and as people pointed out if he was playing for brazil he would be going to the world cup but i don't know i the like snarky back and forth i didn't enjoy it when people were throwing it at england fans post euros i don't really enjoy it when people are throwing it now at italians right we all just want our teams to win there's no sort of menace in it and uh so just using it as an opportunity to kind of kick people when they're down it just encourages so let me let me then you you just mentioned the he would be making it if it were brazil that kind of brings up this argument that always comes up around world cup time is is the system fair and is it actually putting in the best teams or are there a lot of good teams that are getting snubbed when you look at other regions that are qualifying some teams in there in their final spots that would not even be making the playoffs in the in the Europe world qualifying. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough one, right? It's the World Cup, so by definition it needs to have global representation. I think everyone knows deep down that if we were trying to get the best 32 teams to attend a World Cup, then there'd be more European teams there and there might be more South American teams there. But you know, that's not really, you know, it's unlikely that someone would say, hey, New Zealand are one of the best 32 teams in the world. You know, they might have no Asian teams and, you know, no Pacific Island nations either. So, yes, it, does it get the best teams? No, but I don't think that's the goal. I don't think anyone's arguing that the World Cup gets, is, you know, the 32 best nations in the world competing. I think... I think people get very territorial too over which qualification path is harder. People will love to throw out the fact that the South American qualifiers, the standard of competition is higher, which I think is fair. You know, like Brazil don't have the equivalent of, say, England playing Andorra, where you just know that they're going to win by five or six goals. And that doesn't really happen in South America, but they have a lot of qualification places up for grabs. So you can lose three or four matches in the qualifying period and still make it to the World Cup. So in some senses, even though the the sort of head-to-head matches, the average standard is higher, it's more forgiving. I think it's tough in Europe. It's not, as Italy found out, you only have to slip up in a couple of matches. Those that can just be draws as well, as they, you know, they drew against Switzerland when they, you know, who are a decent side, and, and that can be your undoing. I think for the most part, you know, Italy only had themselves to blame. They had every opportunity in their group to qualify, and then they had a home match against North Macedonia. And if you can't beat North Macedonia at home, with the utmost respect to North Macedonia, but if you can't beat North Macedonia at home, then you probably shouldn't be in the World Cup. And the same now, North Macedonia are now going on to play Portugal in the next stage of the playoffs, which the winner will go on to the World Cup. I think if Portugal failed to beat North Macedonia at home as well, then Portugal don't deserve to be there. So, you know, I actually think the interesting thing about European qualification is that there's almost always one big nation that misses out. And in some ways, I kind of think that's nice. So, I, I mean, I know you're ripping on North Macedonia, but this is the North Macedonia team that qualified for the Euros. I mean, they lost all three matches in Euros, but this is a team that was the first time they've ever done that, obviously. So this is... A better team than when you first hear it, but still, I think they're 60, their ranking is 60 lower than, than Italy is currently for, for FIFA rankings. So it's, it's not, they're not a great team, 
by any means, but they're not like the worst team in all of Europe. But <laughs> no, no, it's not like losing to Andorra or San yeah. Marino or something like that. But would, still, you know, I mean, you're, you're looking right. at 60, 60, a difference of 60 in the rankings is crazy to lose a must win match at home. Yeah. And they beat Germany in the group stages. But again, that wasn't a must win match for Germany. And so, yeah, you're, you know, Italy and Italy dominated the match. They should have won the match. In, in the first half, North Macedonia never had a single touch in Italy's box. Like that level of dominance in a football match is almost unheard of. And so for them, you know, they had in the end, what, nearly 30 attempts to, I think, North Macedonia had four or something like that. You know, they bossed possession. They had a lot of chances. They should have won. It's not as if, you know, and, and, and that would be the most upsetting thing from an Italian perspective. But look, yeah, North Macedonia, they're not terrible. And they're from an area of Europe that produces a lot of good footballers. I mean, the, you know, the former Yugoslav republics have it's a strong footballing tradition. Yugoslavia, when it was a collective nation, was good at football. And now when you do look at, you know, the likes of Croatia and Serbia, you know, they produce even Kosovo have some decent players at the moment. Bosnia have had good, have had good teams and good players at different times. So it is a kind of hotbed of football and sports in general. Uh, they produce a lot of athletes, but... It's still, you know, I, I, I put it this way. I think when it's not your your country or your team, you kind of go through the period of trying to justify why it may not be that bad. If that had been England that had last night lost to North Macedonia in a must-win qualifier in the playoffs of the World Cup, I probably, you know, I, I'd be I'd be near on suicidal. So, you know, like there's there's you know there's no there are no excuses from Italy's it is a David versus Goliath fundamentally and and they lost and now we can have Malcolm Gladwell on to tell us how actually David David was the favorite <laughs> well they weren't it was 16 to 1 <laughs> no I mean yeah from a bookmaker's perspective yeah I mean Italy were I think 1 to 5 to win the match they were like one to ten just to qualify because obviously it was a sing you know uh, it would have gone to extra time if North Macedonia hadn't scored in the ninety second minute. Eventually, could have gone to penalties. So um, it's a it's a shocking result, but and in some respects, great for North Macedonia. And you don't want to be the kind of neutral fan who just wants big matches. It's a great story, but I guess it's a slight shame because Portugal against Italy in the next round would have been an interesting matchup. A, a great uh, like World Cup warm up, yeah. Yes, yeah. It would have felt like, and you would have had the whole storyline of you feel like both of these teams should be in the World Cup, but one of them won't make it, and the kind of reigning European champions against maybe Ronaldo in his final major tournament appearances, because it seems unlikely that he might make another one. You never know, but I doubt it. But yeah, no, it's and then so obviously Portugal did their job well um, and went through. And then, I mean, the other big storyline from last night's matches was Gareth Bale, you know, it was one of the six days a year he decided to play football and played pretty well for Wales in their victory against Austria, scored two very good goals. Oh man. And then, and then you just solidify his post-game comments about how he's sick and tired of, of the media just being so negative on players and how it's affecting players, like playing careers and their personal lives and that the journalists need to be held accountable for what they're saying. And here you are just ripping into them. 
<laughs> Look, I think people can go over the, overboard and some of their criticism can be unfair and, and too personal when it comes to athletes or any celebrity. I don't think saying, and Gareth Bale has been mistreated in some respects by Real Madrid. They wanted him to leave, right? And he sort of, he basically, and who can blame him? He was unwilling to leave if it meant that he was going to earn less money. It's This is where it gets tricky because you're asking, sometimes we ask professional athletes to make decisions in their careers that we would never make in our own, or for the most part, we wouldn't make, which is, you know, he's rumored to be on, you know, he's on several hundred thousand euros a week. The estimated figures vary. I think the maximum you ever see is that he's earning 600,000 euros a week. But, you know, the, the figures that get thrown about usually put him somewhere between sort of 300,000 to 600,000 euros a week. I can understand why he thinks, why would I go somewhere else and earn less? Now, let's be real, though. If he could go somewhere else and earn less, he's still earning an absolute ton of money. It's not as if he's going to go from several hundred thousand euros a week to a hundred thousand euros a, a year. So there's that. And I think the argument most people would have is if you love playing football and you want to have as good of a career as possible that you'd want to play. And so I think we all feel that if we love a sport, we would make the decision over playing. And I, and I think also people could probably relate to that sometimes in their own careers where people will turn down more money for an opportunity that they think is better in terms of what they get to do on a daily basis or how much they enjoy it or their colleagues or whatever it is. He clearly hates being in Madrid, but is choosing to be there just because he really likes the money. I don't think that's an unfair criticism, and I don't think it's unfair for Real Madrid fans to turn around and feel like they're not getting their money's worth on a guy earning a ton of money to do a job that they all dream of doing. And all he cares about doing is, I mean, playing golf and playing for Wales. And the fact that he can, he's always fit when these Welsh matches come around, but struggles for fitness for Real Madrid matches, and that he can kind of flick this switch. It's also the lack of, you know, he got asked whether he felt he had answered some of the critics with his performance, and he said he felt like he didn't need to. It's that lack of awareness that I that bothers me when it comes to Gareth Bale. I mean, how can you not think at one moment in time people were you're legit, legitimately in the discussions for being one of the best players in the world. Now you don't even play. And you feel like you don't need to answer your critics for as to why that is. I mean, he even went to Tottenham right on loan and was criticized for his lack of work ethic. He clear, He's just very happy picking up a ton of money and knowing that life is going to be pretty good. And, and we've also, we've touched on this before, right? There is that easy element and never want to downplay mental health issues or, you know, mental health awareness. But it is very easy sometimes to throw that out there. And if you just kind of hint at the possibility that this is causing some kind of mental health damage, people will suddenly back off quite a lot. Yeah. Spoken like a true negative journalist, Eddie. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is if, he, if his life is that miserable in Madrid, leave. He's had every opportunity to go. The only place he seemed like he really wanted to go to, and then Real Madrid stopped it, he really wanted to go to China, which again was just to earn tons of money. You know, so he's not making for decisions <laughs> for, he's not making, yeah, he's not making decisions based on football, and that's fine, but he's going to get criticism because of it. Because ultimately, it's not what we want from our athletes, right? Like, we never want the person who turns down, you know, who chooses money over, and it's, it is unfair because it's, maybe a standard we wouldn't apply to people in other walks of life, but it's just the fact that we, we kind of uh, uh, assign this sort of purity to professional sports that probably isn't there anymore, but we really want people to, 
you know, make decisions because they want to be the best possible and it's upsetting when they aren't. And I, in some respects, I think that could almost tie into a transition to big news from another sport, which is like the Tyreek Hill trade, his decision to sign, I mean, become the highest paid wide receiver. <laughs> it seems like we're saying that every in, week now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We might, we might say it again once or twice yeah. over the course of the remainder of the summer, but yeah, he obviously got traded from the chiefs to the dolphins. Now, I mean, the dolphins now, I think one of the interesting things was it was rumored that his choices were the dolphins or the jets. And I think the offer on the table from the jets was, was identical. Now he has implied that he never seriously considered the jets, but the jets would have been the example of the move where it's about the money, not about, or the other things it's for off the field things, you know, living in New York and, and the kind of lifestyle elements and stuff. I guess at least switching, you know, the, the Dolphins seem to be putting a very good team in place. So you yeah. can tell, you can try and spin that he might, he might see that the, the window is closing on the chiefs and the switch to the Dolphins makes sense from a footballing perspective, but still a pretty shocking development in the NFL. Yeah, so for those who aren't fully aware of the trade details, it was Tyree Kill to the Dolphins for five draft picks, a 2022 first-round pick, which is the number 29, the second-round pick, which is the number 50, a fourth-round pick, and as well as a fourth and six in the following draft. Uh, and then after he was traded, he then signed a four-year $120 million extension with $72.2 million guaranteed. So uh, uh, again, yeah, like Eddie said, an enormous contract. This is a tough one, again, because th this to me is going to be a very interesting dynamic because we've talked many times in a similar sense about the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick situation. And was it Belichick? Was it Brady? Who is really driving all of that success? And I think now when we're starting to see this Chiefs team, maybe as you're alluding to, start to break apart, it'll be interesting to see is it Patrick Mahomes? Is it Andy Reid? Or is it all of this other talent that's around them? So can they do this without Tyreek Hill, who's a six-time Pro Bowler? Every year he's been in the league, he's been a Pro Bowler. Um, you know, they still have Kelsey, but this is a this is a bona fide wide receiver star. So can they still do it? And you know, we have talked too previously that the wide receiver position sometimes looks like it's trending towards the running back position where it can almost be a plug and play. And this will be an amazing example to see if a plug and play is really what's happening at the wide receiver position, or if there are some talent that just, you know, make the difference. I, this will be a great example for me. And so I, I don't personally, I've watched a lot of the chiefs game cause I'm, I'm a pretty big chiefs fan, a Patrick Mahomes fan. He is very special Tyreek Hill. I mean, you watch him play and he does some stuff that I don't see other receivers do ever but i think at the end of the day if you can put the talent around mahomes that can run the routes that is set out that andy reed is creating i think they'll still be successful maybe you take away a few of those home run touchdowns you know where a 10 yard slant turns into a 60 yard touchdown you maybe take away a few of those but i still think what makes the chiefs great is you have a great coach with a qb that's super comfortable with the system and that system when it's on it's on no matter who's at receiver, as long as Mahomes is there. He knows that system better than anyone. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right from a Chiefs perspective. They're, they're probably not getting that touchdown they got against the Bills in the playoffs, right? Where he no. just 
absolutely, absolutely epic burned. Touchdown. You know, that one's probably not happening. But a lot of the touchdowns he scores, which is, you know, so many of them, the challenge, I guess, from the Chiefs' perspective is a lot of what has helped, you know, the relationship that um, Mahomes has with Kelsey and had with Tyreek Hill is part of what's made them so good. So their understanding of where they Mahomes would want them to go as a play starts to break down or as he starts to scramble, that's part of what makes them so dangerous. And that ability of each one of them to kind of find that pocket of space and and make a play from there. That will be the challenge from the kind of chemistry standpoint as to how they can replace him. I do agree with you, though. I feel like, I mean, in McCole Hardman, they sort of replace his speed. You know, they have outright speed yeah. there. I mean, and maybe that's maybe that's what you're thinking, right? That they have the speed and then they also just sign Juju Smith-Schuster and uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So not of the exceptional talent, you know, in production that Hill is, but when you plug that in with the with the Hardman speed, maybe you're replacing it just with multiple players. Yeah, and, and hey, Juju already had his first TikTok video in a Chiefs uniform come out, so he is, he's meeting that contractual requirement. But like I think for the Chiefs' perspective, they'll be okay. Um, I think the interesting thing is is with the Dolphins. This is a test. I think this is a big litmus test for Tyreek Hill to try and show that he's not someone who is just playing with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and in a really great offense, and he is more than that. And he's not just a speedster in the right system. And then also now for your favorite quarterback in the NFL, for Tua, he has no excuses now because they are putting weapons around him to succeed. So if Tua cannot deliver now, there's sort of, you know, there's no way to excuse it. It's it's just because he's not going to be good enough. Yeah. So, you know, they have Mike McDaniel's new head coach coming from from the Niners, who is a very offensive minded coach. Uh, then you have Cedric Wilson Jr., wide receiver, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mozart, running backs, and now you have Tyreek Hill. You had Jalen Waddell, who, when he was got healthy again towards the end of the season, looked really good. So, yeah, there's so much talent around them. And then you still had Devontae Parker, Mike Gusecki already there. So I, this is an absolute make or break for, for Tua. And what I think is going to be interesting as the season starts is if he doesn't instantly make an impact, how quick is the leash on Tua? Do you pull him after five? If they start off one and four and he's not looking great, do you pull him after five games? You know, is it that short a leash with the talent that's around him? Or do you say, we'll give him the year. If he produces this year, great. If he doesn't, we'll move on. Yeah, I mean, that's a the million dollar questions for, for a lot of organizations, right? I don't know. I'm always in favor of giving someone enough time to fail, um, especially because they're in a really tough division. And I don't think the Dolphins could have serious Super Bowl expectations this season. I mean, they're building a potential Super Bowl team. But when you consider that they're in there with the Bills in their division and the Patriots, who I, like, I would put them ahead of the Patriots probably now, but still that's a tough game. So, you know, you're not going to sweep your division the AFC is also definitely stronger than the NFC. So their path to the Super Bowl is pretty much as hard as possible. I think you give to a, a season to fail. So you really know that there's no lingering questions because the worst case you want to have is you give him five or six games. He doesn't do that well. Then you, you know, you change things up and then you get to the start of next season and people are telling themselves, well, maybe though, maybe this season things will be better. So I think you, you give him enough time you know, you give him enough rope to hang himself, so to speak. And and if if he 
Ouch. <laughs> no, but you know what? I, Might want to cut that. No, I mean, it's an expression. It's a, <laughs> that's that's a crude English humor right there. <laughs> it's a, it's a clear, <laughs> but you know, I think that, and then you know. Um, I do think the one thing I will say is a lot of people have been speaking about how you you know you referred to Mike McDaniel as this you know a little bit of an offensive genius and with what he was part of with the Niners in terms of their creative play calling a lot of people have said oh, won't it be exciting he can use Tyreek Hill in the same way that the Niners use Debo Samuel I'm sure he'll find creative ways to use Tyreek Hill in terms of putting him in motion and maybe running you know sweeps and stuff. I cannot imagine Tyreek Hill, who's a relatively small and slight guy, being used in the same way they use Debo Samuel, which at times is to actually run people over. I think people need to kind of cool the thought that any wide receiver can be turned in. I think it's kind of disrespectful in a sense to what Debo Samuel's been able to do. Yeah. That like, oh, well, if you have the right system, you just put in a wide receiver and, every, and all of a sudden they can be one of the best running backs in the league. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, you you look at you have to have that size, right? Because you look at the other one who's currently doing that, and it's Cordell Patterson, who's also a bigger wide receiver, a let's say thicker. You know, you can maybe even do it with the DK Metcalf, but he might actually be too big to be able to do it. I don't know. There's probably a happy medium where you can't be six five, two eighty, trying to be a running back unless your name's Ron Dane, and then you just burn out super quick. But you know, I think, yeah, that's you're not going to get that type of not performance, but you're not going to get those types of plays that Debo Samuel's running that Tyreek Hill has. You might get that amount of production, but they might be, you know, end arounds and reverses and all those types of plays, but not running, not running up the tackle. No. Yeah, no. I mean, you need a special type of person who can just survive that level of wear and tear, which Debo Samuel seemingly can do, but it would be a real shame for the Dolphins to bring Tyreek Hill in and then have him injured in week three because they've decided to try and just run him up the middle. So uh, fourth yeah. and one loaded up and run him up the middle. <laughs> so I, I would be surprised, you know, if, if uh, Mike McDaniel is the offensive genius that it looks like he is, I'd be surprised if he was that uncreative in his, in his Tyreek Hill usage and, and kind of just tried to plug him into the, the Debo Samuel template. But speaking of uh, DK Metcalf, there were obviously then strong rumors that, the Chiefs made this move and then want either DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett from Seattle. And I did, I don't know if you saw his response to a tweet the other day, but um, everything Chiefs, the Twitter account, sort of mentioned him in a tweet and said the door is open in KC with the kind of googly eyes. And DK Metcalf responded with better clothes at her to get cold at night. So I'm assuming... <laughs> I'm assuming that puts puts the end to any speculation that he might be going to the Chiefs, but who knows? Maybe he hasn't realized Russell Wilson's left yet. <laughs> well, maybe not, or maybe he's just looking forward to a quarterback that you know doesn't constantly have an injured finger and can actually find him deep downfield. But, but yeah, I, 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 the real question is: I cannot remember an NFL offseason that's had as much activity as this. No, I was going to I was going to mention this too. It's it's ramping up for sure. I remember 20 years ago when the NFL was this kind of solid rock where most players started a career and the majority of their career was with one team. That doesn't mean at the end that they kind of went to different teams, but for the most part it was really easy to know who was on NFL teams cuz they rarely changed as much. Whereas something like baseball I mean, baseball players 
even back then were still changing so readily that, you know, you had players going one team, the other team, oh, he's on this team now. Oh, like I forgot, blah, blah, blah. But now in the past five or so years, I feel as if there's been so many more off-season trades and in-season trades. That was that was super rare back in the day to have a big in-season trade. But even now you see a lot of high-profile players moving teams during the year, during the trade deadline. That really wasn't a thing back then. So it's, yeah, it, it's definitely happening more and more. And I don't, I don't know the, the, the reason for it. I mean, I guess maybe teams are just getting more, more antsy and there's more of a win now mentality in the NFL than there was back then where it was let, I mean, I guess it's kind of like how quarterbacks are treated now, you know, you'd let a quarterback develop over time, but now teams are more giving quarterbacks two two years, three years max. And that's kind of how the team aspect is, you know, you want to build a team to win in the next year or two, not five years down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels a little bit like it's a kind of Madden franchise. In terms of level activity like this, you know, this, if I'd been playing a Madden franchise back in the day, this would have felt like an unrealistic amount of activity. And I'm sure if, you know, it would have been me and my friends playing, we would have accused teams of pulling off unrealistic moves that would never have happened in real life. I'm sure, you know, someone would have said, there's no way the Chiefs trade Tyreek Hill for some draft picks. You haven't even given up one of your best receivers in return. You know, there would have been all these, would have been accusing the AI of being stupid. And then here we are, this is... This is what's going on, but, and worth noting, you know, you obviously mentioned the fact that the, the number one pick this year uh, is the number 29. That is the Niners pick that they sent to the Dolphins as part of the move up to get Trey Lance. So just, uh, I maybe increases slightly that pressure on Trey Lance to start delivering because you start to see what that number one pick could have been turned into potentially uh, else, you know, had it not been used in that trade. Also, don't know, but there's some speculation that Tom Brady might still be trying to force his way out of Tampa Bay, and that he's made his return and wants a trade. I don't know if you saw any of that. It's come from Yahoo, so your favorite news source. I don't know. I, I rarely find Yahoo to be reputable, but there is speculation. Oh, Yahoo's always reputable. <laughs> there is spec. That's how they've still made it so far in this. In this, the, the, they're playing a long game. We'll just be super reputable, and no one can deny our facts yeah no it's true i mean look they've outlasted most of their competitions so they've at least got that going for them but yeah I, I i can't see it personally i just i i mean especially now that so many teams have filled that quarterback need i i mean the the only team out there that seems to make any sense still it's the niners and i don't see that they have the draft or the player capital necessary to get that move done so you know, because they're not going to just take now that he has officially returned, that's obviously increased his trade value. So, you know, the one thing we never discussed was the fact that that for the person who sold the, the last Tom Brady touchdown pass sort of two days before he announced his comeback. Yeah, I five hundred and sixty thousand dollars he spent at auction to buy it. He did, though, get a Bitcoin from Tom Brady recently. Oh, yeah. Like this last week, Tom Brady sent him a Bitcoin and a Bitcoin to donate to charity. Because it was that charity his own foundation. <laughs> Just, oh, I'm really in need. Yeah. But it must be TB12. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a win for the person who sold it. Because oh, literally. Best move ever. Literally, you probably. Turns out it was Tom Brady's father. Because yeah. literally <laughs> two days later that. I mean, the only thing I would find interesting is to know 
what is the value of the like does that give that ball its own kind of special place in history that it gives it value you know that would be the interesting thing and i'm not deep into the sports memorabilia enough to know how that bit works but for everyone being like well it's 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 worthless now it's just like a 500 hundred dollar tom brady touchdown like nfl ball I bet you it's not. I bet you the whole story attached to that ball means it will retain some. Yeah, like the zeitgeist yeah, of it. To be like, this was the last yeah. touchdown. So here's here's the move, though. It would be amazing if he tries to resell it now to recoup some of the losses. And then game one, Tom Brady goes down <laughs> with like a torn ACL and retires. <laughs> and he rebuys it again for like 600000 And he's just losing hundreds of thousands of dollars on this ball <laughs> yeah yeah now i mean I is is that his is that this guy's long. you know big hope so he must be a tom brady fan because he bought the ball but deep down is he now hoping some harm bestows upon tom brady that he never throws another touchdown pass well <laughs> i'm assuming that if you're spending five hundred thousand dollars on a football You've you've got enough money that you. No, they so, they said he sold his house. Wait, He's now living out no, of his car. Bullshit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know, I'm assuming that he he's he's can write off the five hundred thousand. I'm guessing. So in that respect, probably not. I'm I'm assuming if you're just a really rich guy collecting that, that almost the story of it now is kind of cooler. So to have that football sitting on your desk and someone comes into your office and is like, what's that football? And you're like, oh, this was supposed to be Tom Brady's last touchdown throw. That's almost cooler. Oh, I'm that yeah. idiot. <laughs> like that's 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 kind of. Remember that news story about that idiot that bought that ball and then Brady came You're looking back? at him. I'm that yeah. idiot. <laughs> like to me, that's. that's <laughs> want to do business? <laughs> <laughs> I got a house I really want to sell in the next two days. But um, the. Yeah, I, I think if you're him, that's probably worth almost more, especially when you get the Bitcoin in exchange. So, I mean, Bitcoin's not as valuable as it once was, but, you know, that, I think I feel like you'd hope that Tom Brady kept doing, you know, stayed healthy. And I'm sure you can maybe now weasel out a couple tickets or something. Who knows? So um, not to bring up the topic of Russia, I think we've pretty much exhausted our coverage of Russia and Ukraine. However, I don't know if you saw the update on the Brittany Griner situation. She did have her first contact this week with some sort of representative from the U.S. embassy or consulate. But speculation is now that the likely sentence she's facing is five years in a Russian labor camp. Wow. That's insane. I mean, things are... Well, I I did read in the news that... Um, athletes were told not to talk about the situation to not make her look like a political martyr so that it didn't exacerbate it and make Russia do something worse in response because they saw that it was getting the coverage. So they did apparently reach out to almost everyone in basketball and tell them to kind of keep it quiet for her sake because it might actually help her in the long run if you don't if you aren't vocal about it, because it's just going to fuel Russia because they're literally not going to give a shit what LeBron James says, you know, they're not going to lessen the sentence. They're going to make it worse because it's going to piss LeBron off more, you know? So, yeah. Or they just, it just makes her sound like a more powerful chess piece than she is, you know, 
and and you might trick a few Russians then into suddenly thinking that WNBA superstars are, you know, beloved sports and political figures in the U.S. Whereas most people, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way to Brittany Griner or the WNBA, but most people do not know who she is. So if you do suddenly get super famous people taking it on as a, a cause celeb, or you might, fall, you know, try and make it a little bit harder to convince them that she's not worth worth holding on to. But basically, in the 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 Russian legal expert who I read the article about the fact that she, five five years in a labor camp looks like the likely outcome if she does is sentenced was saying that the the worrying part is the fact that she had her preliminary preliminary holding extended from two months to three months because even that process requires going to a higher authority in the Russian legal system. So the fact that they've been able to successfully do that means that the chances of her being let off is very slim. Yeah. It's a very unfortunate situation. I mean, that's definitely being caught in this situation for sure. You know, like the overall political landscape situation. Well, I guess I'll uh, talk to you next podcast. (laughs) See ya. Cheerio.